Have you ever read John 12, 28? My goodness, it's rich. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I'll glorify it again. This is Jesus talking to God first, and then God responding back, which is actually the only time in the Gospel of John that God speaks. I find this incredibly fascinating. I have glorified it, and I'll glorify it again. John is so intentional with every word in the gospel. I wonder what this comment from God could mean. So let's jump in into this a little deeper and see what we can see. In the previous verse, verse 27, Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. So that's the full verse. There's a lot of emotion in this. I mean, Jesus opens, my soul is troubled. This is straight from Psalm 42. He's quoting it. It's a deep, emotional psalm where the psalmist's soul is like a deer panting for living water. So too does Jesus' soul long. It feels. It's troubled. But look at the next part. Now my soul is troubled. And what should I do? Father, save, or what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? Well, I mean, yeah, you should say that. Uh, anyone would say that. There's no atheist in a foxhole, right? And Jesus is clearly in a foxhole. You're headed towards death. And so asking God to save you from this hour, that seems quite right. Plus, in Mark's gospel, Jesus does say this. He tells his disciples in Mark 14, 34 that he's deeply grieved and they should stay awake to pray with him in the garden. He then turns his attention to God and he prays for God to take this cup from me. That's in Mark's gospel. But that's not what happens here in John. Look at verse 27 in full. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. In John's gospel, Jesus would never deny his connection with God. In John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 10.30, the Father and I are one. John 17, 21, as you are in me, Father, I am in you. We are one. And this can't be understated. Jesus for John was God. God for John was Jesus. And of course he was. This is Trinitarian theology at its finest. Nothing is autonomous in the Trinity. It is a flow, a collective a dance. What happens to Jesus happens to God. What happens to God happens to Jesus. And then there's the Holy Spirit, but that's another conversation for another day. This may not make sense to our Western rational postmodern mind, but that's how it is. Jesus is God incarnate. Nothing less, nothing more. And that's why we get the back half of verse 27. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Jesus is saying, everything in my ministry for the last three years has been building to this. 
Of course it's sad, and my soul is troubled. I am human, after all, and I get the emotions of this. But I'm also God, and I'm not going to run from this moment. It is for this reason I have come to this hour. Jesus is speaking about the hour that begins the process of him dying. And it's funneled through this idea of deep time. Now, we're not literally talking about the hour on a clock. Deep time is a way that Scripture talks about things that can't really be talked about. The Greeks have a word for this, kairos. And this is what we mean by deep time. It's when time comes to its fullness, even if it's just for a moment. It's when we say, it doesn't get any better than this, or my goodness, I get it. The dots are finally connecting, and time comes to its fullness. Well, Jesus is basking in deep time in John 12. So instead of asking for the cup to be removed, he leans in and says, verse 28, Father, Glorify your name. Father, do your will. Father, it is time. Glorify your name. Well, then a voice comes from heaven. I have glorified it, and I'll glorify it again. What a line. This is God's only audible remarks in all of John's gospel. And God's saying, I've done it and I'll do it again. I've glorified all of this already, and I'll do it again. My glory is already in all of this, and I'll do it again. Amazing. And I think this might be the best illustration of what we mean by deep time. The work that Christ is unfolding has actually already been glorified by God. How did this happen? I don't know. It's a mystery. But God's name is already in place. And God's going to do it again. And I'll be honest with you. I have researched this verse to death. And scholars really struggle with what exactly God's comment means. I mean, really, what is God saying here? Is the work of salvation already done? If so, when did that happen? What about the cross? It hadn't happened yet. Is the work of God's kingdom fully realized now? Well, how did that happen? So many questions. And speculation really does run the gamut for scholars, too. And you can see why. God's pretty vague here. What has God glorified? What does it mean for God's name to be glorified? What is glory? In what ways is Jesus' death supposed to enact glory and spark glory? And plus, what is being sparked anyway? So does, what is God seeing fit to spark anyway? Is the cross the spark? And how many times in I'm going to have to say the word spark and glory. And why am I talking so fast? And what exactly is going on in this verse? Exactly. We don't know. We also kind of do know. It's a mystery in the best possible sense. Welcome to deep time. I'm learning that mystery is not that which is not understandable, but rather it's endlessly understandable. Mystery is knowable. It's just that when we look at the same thing over and over again, something more emerges and comes to us and reveals itself with each pass. You're going to need to spend some time thinking about this, but mystery is not which is not understandable. Mystery isn't unknowable. 
It's what is endlessly understandable. We look at the same thing over and over again, and we see more and more because that something is always something new. I have glorified it, and I'll glorify it again. Keep staring at this verse. It is a mystery, but it will reveal itself to us in deep time. I have glorified it, and I'll glorify it again. I have glorified it, and I'll glorify it again. The larger setting helps us. It gives more clarity to us uh, exactly on what God is meaning. So let's keep reading. Look at verse 29. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said an angel has spoken to him. And this just proves our point. Mystery is people looking right at the same thing, but not seeing or hearing, in this case, the same thing. It's a mystery. Verse 30. Jesus answered, The voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of the world. Now is the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. And there it is. That last line. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. All of this is about Jesus' death, which in and of itself is a form of infinite love. Now, people in Scripture don't know this yet, but we do reading it because we're looking back onto the pages of Scripture. We know the cross is a complete self-emptying of God's love. But that's not what the disciples and the Greeks would have understood. So that's why Jesus preemptively tells God, it's time to glorify your name. It's time to self-empty yourself for humanity. And God says, I've already done that. I did it with creation. I did it with Israel. I've masterfully set into orbit the intricate sparks of life. I've already glorified my name. My name is emblazoned across the stars. But I'm going to do it again. I'll self-empty myself again. I'll pour it all out again. So my love will flow through and in life again. And what we're coming to learn here in John 12 is the price of God's outpouring, the cost of infinite love, is death. Why? Well, that's also a great mystery. Some days we understand it well, but other days it's lost in deep time to us. We're going to explore this more next week in Holy Week, but somehow and for some reason, Jesus had to die. The way I think of it is like this. Divine love requires self-emptying. It's the only way for love not to be manipulated. God had to give it all away. He already did it, and He's going to do it again. You know, by saying this line over and over again, I think you start to hear it better and richer. I have glorified it, and I'll glorify it again. You hear God's endless love for us. I have glorified it. And I'll glorify it again. There's no disdain in this. I have glorified it. And I'll glorify it again. I mean, there's no ill will or hesitation in this either. I have glorified it. And I'll glorify it again. 
You think about that. It's so rich. The kind of glory that God's talking about requires self-emptying. And God's up to the task. So God comes to us in Jesus. God empties himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, which tells us God is the ultimate participant in everything beautiful and tragic. God is in the beauty and in the tragedy with us. And that's the meaning of the cross for me. It's why we say we are saved by the cross, because the God of all glory glorifies us. I have glorified it, and I'll glorify it again. And this is how I want to end our series on shame. We can let go of shame because God has glorified us through Christ on the cross. Jesus endured the most shameful of shamings, poured out love by emptying himself to us. He gave it all glorified it all, and he'll do it again. That's why we don't have to shame ourselves or to be overcome by shame, because thanks to the cross of Christ, we too have been glorified. And when we feel that shame rise in us, we can match its intensity with a resiliency that knows God has glorified me, and he'll do it again.